I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. All right. Well, hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Groves, and we are back with another special guest. I'm going to have to give Steve Jacoby a shout out for this guest because this is a family member and a relative of his. And if you guys know me personally, you know, real estate has been a long-term goal for me, building that passive income. And I feel like Airbnb, the last five to 10 years has completely blown up. So I thought, why not get someone that has had a mass amount of success with the Airbnb market to answer all of the questions related to Airbnb and real estate. So Andrew Jacoby, the CEO of Jacoby Properties, welcome to the podcast. Say hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here for sure. I have to thank uh, my uncle Steve for for the intro and giving me the opportunity to come talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I want to give the audience a little bit of background on who you are before we dive into the nitty gritty of Airbnb. So I know you had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit at heart going to school and majoring in college in entrepreneurship. So give the audience a little bit of the why behind entrepreneurship. And yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things that's just kind of always been in me. Like it's just one of those feelings I've had my entire life. I was the kid who was playing entrepreneurship type games. I think I started my first business back when I was in like sixth grade. I would uh, go around to garage sales and buy things from these garage sales. And then eBay was really in its kind of heyday and becoming super popular back then. So I would then go on eBay and try to turn them for a profit. And that's what I would do on my my weekends for like fun back in middle school and stuff. So so being an entrepreneur kind of has always just been, you know, a fun thing for me to do. It's always been in my in my DNA. It's kind of, I feel like where I, I thrive, honestly. So yeah, it kind of just made sense that when I went off to went off to school, I, you know, I found a home in in, in management, business management, and, and entrepreneurship. From there, was real estate always a passion of yours, or what was that first step into entrepreneurship after college? Yeah, um, I think it was a passion before I even knew it was a passion. <laughs> um, Elaborate, like so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I met my, my, my grandfather was a, was a realtor. Um, okay. And I used to love on the weekends, like I would, he would take me with him on, on, on Sunday to go tour homes with them or, or do home showings. And I always loved it. But I, I kind of completely forgot about it. It never just even was like, it was a fun thing I did. Never pursued it, never thought about pursuing it. Um, and then I, I actually kind of stumbled upon like, after after graduation, I, I moved to from Columbus, Ohio, um, which is where I'm from, and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to pursue music stuff. Um, <laughs> no musical talent whatsoever. I did I did concert, I did concert lighting um, and everything. So so I pursued music career, and I kind of when I was doing that, I kind of stumbled upon like the whole financial independence movement and and all that sort of stuff, which then kind of led to like how do you become financially independent which kind of 
opened a side door for, for real estate being a great way to make passive income and, and lead to financial independence. And then I, I kind of really re-locked on to, to real estate at that time and, and kind of rediscovered my interest in real estate through through that. Obviously, getting into real estate, I think when people hear that, they're like, okay, I need a sh- shit ton of capital. Like I need to have all of this <laughs> capital to invest and go buy a house. And there's so many things. It can be very overwhelming. I feel this personally. Walk yeah, the yeah, audience yeah. through, what'd you say? Especially right now <laughs> with prices just keep going up and up. It's it's yeah. become even more daunting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Walk the audience through and give them advice now looking back if they're in a corporate job or they're working a nine to five, but that they want to pursue that financial independence and they want to get into real estate. What pieces of advice would you give them during that? I guess we'll call it saving period, if you will. Yeah, I was really blessed in the fact that my job, you know, it, it had me traveling like 300 days a year at its peak. And so I, I was able to minimize my living expenses dramatically because I was getting a lot of things covered because I was traveling so much through per diems and everything like that. So I just, I just put my head down and saved and saved and saved for, for as long as I, as I could until I could buy that, buy my first house. That was a super pretty modest house, little small little two, one bedroom. It's a hard industry to get into. I can't like sugarcoat it. Like yeah. real estate is difficult to break into. Once you break into it, the, the growth curve is exponential. So once you're in it, I mean, it can be so rewarding, but getting in it is difficult. You have to, you have to really, really have a passion for it. You have to really, really want to be in it. You have to be able to work hard, keep saving money, do your research on how you can get into it. I mean, that, that's kind of where, that's where I would start is just try to, try to put as much into savings as you, as you, as you possibly can when you're working that nine to five. Set a goal for yourself. Know what you need, what you need to make and, and just put your head down and get there. In term, you mentioned research, which I think is super important. And I think that's where yeah. the overwhelm can oftentimes come from. Yeah. Are there certain tactical things that you would recommend someone that is just in the beginning phase of trying to get into real estate? And I know real estate is a broad term. So I feel like yeah. whether you're getting into rental properties or I mm-hmm. mean, Airbnb, it's kind of all yeah. in the same a little bit, but. Well, I mean, to use my story as an example in buying my first property, I knew that if I, I didn't have to save as much money if I bought a primary residence, you know, you can, you can get away with putting 0% down, 5%, 3.5%. Buying your primary residence is way more easy and flexible to do than buying an investment property right off the, the bat where you, you know, have to put in 20% down just to get that. So, so that was my, my goal. I knew if I could just buy my primary residence, then that was an easier first property and a first step to get into, which is where Airbnb actually came in because I knew I was traveling personally for me. So, and I was just my, just a solo person. So I was really focused on getting a two bedroom. And so I knew that when I was traveling, I could rent out my second bedroom on Airbnb when I was gone. And that would help pay the mortgage and the bills. And then I could just keep dumping money back into savings so that I could buy another property. And I actually did that multiple times. So I bought my first primary residence. I would Airbnb out one bedroom. 
I did that for a year. I dumped everything that I made from that into savings. After I had fulfilled my, my terms of my mortgage of that being my primary residence for a year, I turned it into a investment property and bought a second primary residence for another 5% down. And then I rented out a room on Airbnb in that second house until I save enough money and just kept kind of repeating the process. So that was my goal. That worked for me. And that was a way to, I could easily accomplish and get into the industry um, and into the market. And, and it worked, it worked well for me. I mean, it's not going to work for every single person. You've got to, you know, every person's situation is unique. Um, but, but having that, having that path and knowing what my path was and having a strategy to get there, I mean, it made it something I could accomplish and do. Start small. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. It's a piece of advice that yeah. I feel every entrepreneur and every single person gives is like, just start somewhere yeah. and it's going to build on top of each other. Like take yeah. the first step, but I'm going to get like real granular with you. I'm usually not a steeple yeah. detailed person, but I'm very passionate about this topic. So yeah. when you buy your first primary residence and whether someone's out there listening, they're like, hey, I just want to know the basis of Airbnb. How did you know Airbnb was the direction you wanted to go and give the audience? When was this? Was this around 2015? Give a timeline basis. Yeah, yeah. It was about 2016 Okay, is when I, when I started it. Man, I wish I could remember like the first time I even like heard of Airbnb. Yeah. Um, but I think I think what it was was I, I, I knew I wanted to purchase a home. I knew that, you know, primary residents were easier for me to get into. It was it was a starting point. Um, and so I was trying to figure out ways that I could generate income from my primary residence, which is when I stumbled upon, I think, Airbnb. And, and it just kind of like a light bulb went out where it was like the perfect scenario for me because it was I wasn't even using my my home oh, half the yeah. time I had bought it, but I was gone all the time, you know, 300 days a year, I was just sitting there empty. So it just light bulb went off. This is the perfect way to expedite the process. Did, were you managing your very first property or did you go through a management company? No, I, I, I managed my first property and it was, it was, a, it was an exciting and nerve wracking time. I remember the very, I remember the first night I listed my Airbnb and I actually priced it so low. It was like, <laughs> low. I was losing so much money. But I remember I was literally like laying in bed till like three or four o'clock in the morning. I could just hear my phone dinging. Like you got a booking, you got a booking, you got a booking. And I was just, and I was responding to guests at that point because it was, I was so excited about yeah. it. I mean, and I just remember that very distinctly. And like, I mean, I was at the time, I was just super excited. I mean, yeah. it was great. It was my plan was working. I was priced so low. It was losing <laughs> money at a time that I, I didn't know, uh, leaving money on the table. But yeah, I managed my my first property. Managing in one property is is a is totally a doable thing. It's you know a part time gig. It's great. You know, it's yeah. You'll learn. You'll learn. <laughs> you'll learn lessons which we can we can touch on. Um, yeah, please but, go into you know, lessons I, that you learned from that because I know we're yeah. going to kind of pivot into when to know when to get a management. But I think if someone, yeah. whether you're starting, like, do I manage it? Should I pay someone? It's probably cheaper yeah. for you to do it if it's just one, right? Yeah, and I think it's a really. It depends on what that individual goal is. I mean, what that person's goal is, and and their unique scenario. I mean, if they 
if they have aspirations of of it becoming a full-time gig man, don't don't lend it out to anyone else just i'm a big fan of going in there doing it making the mistakes like i did on my first one and learn from those if it's something you want it to be passive income just like a regular 30-day long-term rental um you know management companies are, are the way to go depends on what your what your current current gig is and what your current job is i mean you have to weigh in what the cost of your time is and what your time is worth a great way that people make extra money on airbnb is through their cleaning fees so you can you know depending on the size of your property you know you can charge a cleaning fee of 200 for example you can go and clean that place yourself and make an extra 200 on that reservation and i encourage people to do that i actually <laughs> even in my management company cleaned the units and t- for the first 10 that i had i was the cleaner and I was able to just make extra extra money that way. I mean, eventually that's not a scalable thing if you're if you're getting large enough. So if you can make two hundred bucks, and it, it, that's it's a great way to put in the extra work and, and and expedite the process some. But if you have a nine to five corporate job where your time is worth more than that, then you gotta hire that out as well, outsource that. So yeah. I, what was the rest yeah. of your no? You're good. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep building off yeah. of it in terms of occupancy. Yeah. So I think obviously whether it's you, your scenario is that you lived in this. <clears throat> it, I'm gonna use myself as a guinea pig. I don't necessarily know if that would be my situation. I think I might go into it as an investment property and then Airbnb. Within the first year, were you seeing an ROI or give? specific details on like occupancy and what the average is for a, a person to break even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's definitely, I mean, as far as like specifically occupancy, it, it, it depends on the size of the property and, and your location and everything. Um, smaller properties tend to have higher occupancy. I'm here in Nashville, which is also a very it's city to go to. So our occupancies are pretty high. I mean, a one bedroom here in Nashville should be 100% occupied if you're doing it right. It should be booked every day of the year. Um, are you for <laughs> you real? To be, yeah, yeah, for sure. Our, our, our one bedrooms are 100% occupied. Um, for sure. So I need to Nashville's a talk city. with you. <laughs> I'm not going to say every city is going to be that. But generally, in general terms, the smaller your property, higher occupancy you're going to have you get into a four bedroom here in nashville which is legally the most you can rent out as a four bedroom house you you get into lower like 60 percent occupancy maybe 50 percent occupancy but that doesn't necessarily mean that your returns are just because you have a higher occupancy doesn't mean that your returns are greater you know larger properties are are going to have generally speaking should have a higher rate of return your nightly rates are going to be way higher so even though you could be in the 50 60 percent occupancy um, you know, you, you should have to see a higher rate of return. Um, but those are harder to get into too. So, I mean, buying a one bedroom condo is a great first place to start. It's also super easy to do yourself. If you're, if you want to be the person managing it, start with a one bedroom. It, it's, it's way simpler to manage way less problems. You can get in there and clean it yourself. It's an easier starting point for sure. That was my next question. Um, but, yeah. If someone wants to start right now, yeah. Obviously, given the market conditions, we can't control that. But what advice would yeah. you give to someone that wants to get started tomorrow in Airbnb? Would it be a one-bedroom condo? I mean, whatever makes sense for you. I mean, whatever you can get into. Just getting started is key for sure. Um, you know, I it's about 
networking, educating yourself. If you're trying to get, just get into the game, not even necessarily buy something right now, just, just talking to people. It's a huge networking world. I mean, the way I turned from just managing my own units to managing it professionally was I would just talk to anyone and everyone that would listen to me about Airbnbs. <laughs> when I was back in town, I would talk to realtors about it. I would talk to friends about it. I was just talking, probably annoying people with how much I would just talk about Airbnb and how much success I was having, how much I, I loved it and everything. Eventually, I talked to the right person because about six months after I had talked to them, they called me back and said, hey, I have a couple properties that I need a manager for. Are you interested in actually doing this? And I quit my job that day and, and created the company and <laughs> there I am now. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just about talking to the right people and continually talk about it. Repetition, perseverance, just keep working at it. Um, and eventually, even if you're doing it for finding it specifically for finding a property, just every day, get out there and look for a property, talk to people who may know about properties before they hit the market to give you advantage. Just keep at it. It can take a while sometimes, but if you keep at it, eventually that right deal will come around that right. You'll meet that right person or read the right thing. And that light bulb will click for you and you'll figure out your path. It's really what it's about. Put yourself out there and build relationships. Not the first time and not the last time we're going to hear that on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. We're going to take, so you started with your unit and then you bought a second unit. Walk the audience through the growth phase. So how did you get from those two units that you were managing into managing other people's property and eventually scaling to 75 units? I think it was after I had my second unit, this is when I was starting to talk to people, like I said, and I, I eventually talked to the right person who gave me the opportunity to to quit my job that day and start this professionally. I grew to 10 units in the first year outside of my own. I grew to 10 units under my own management. And in terms of management, so, what exactly does yeah. that mean? So so we were like a full service management company, such a company property. So, I mean, Airbnb is a pretty, it, it can be passive if you hire a manager like, like me, but yeah. it's it's a pretty complex business and it is definitely not passive. Okay. Um, it's not even like a long-term 30-day rental passive. It, it's it's like running multiple businesses in one. You've got to handle cleaning, you got to handle guest communication, you got to handle, handle maintenance, pricing, taxes. I mean, it, 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 it's there's, there's a laundry list of things you have to do. So we build ourselves as a full service management company. So owners will be completely hands-off and, and get a direct deposit in the mail at the end of every 30 days. So that's what I mean by a full service management company is I would be managing other people's properties. The owners would still own the properties. I would take a commission of the rental rate as well as the cleaning fee from them for our services. So my commission was 18%, but it ranges widely between markets, anywhere from 10% to I've seen up to 40% commissions, depending on what market you're in. It's quite the range. It's a little bit of a race to the bottom right now, especially in urban markets as far as commission goes. But yeah, so we grew to 10 in the first year under our management. How did you learn just, the management yeah, side of it? Through my trial and error of my own properties. <laughs> you know, 
okay. <laughs> I, I my first lesson, like I said, booking way too low. I just went on there and I set a price that I thought, hey, this is seems reasonable. There was no there was no real in depth science to it or any research. I just was like, sounds good. <laughs> um, learn learn that that was like, well, there's probably a reason I'm booking so fast. There's Kind, yeah. of, kind of crazy. <laughs> the entire next three months is booked up after 24 hours. So you start doing research into it and, you know, you find there's a bunch of softwares out there that will, that use computer algorithms that have hundreds of variables and factors that will help price your calendar out automatically for you. So yeah, you learn through trial and error, through mistakes. Wow. So would you recommend you're very good at like playing both sides. I can tell from this interview, but I want you to give like a strong opinion here. Would you recommend people go through a management company or do it on their own if it's case by case or is it case by case rather? I mean, it is very case by case. It depends on what that person wants out of it. There's a lot of really terrible management companies out there. For sure. I mean, I okay. I I played around I played around with the idea of using a management company early on and and talked to a few. I didn't like any of them, to be honest. I thought they all just saw my my property as an ATM machine, and they were never going to actually be in my property or, or care for my property. At that time, it was my I mean, that was my biggest asset. So yeah. I I felt like it deserved that sort of care, and I knew a lot of management companies were not. We're not gonna provide that sort of care that I did. So I that that was that was one of my big pitches in growing my company is that I came from that background and that I had that experience so that I built the management company that we built today around that concept. So there's a lot of bad management companies out there. Yeah. <laughs> Do your research before you just pick one. There's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of really terrible ones. There's some good ones too though. So um, yeah, we're still back to neutral. It's okay. I'll, uh, I'll get, so I'll get yeah. a straight answer out of you later in this conversation. Uh, I'll say this. I don't, I don't, I don't think even the good management companies are not going to do as good a job as you. I'll Cause they don't say. care as much, I, which is valid. They don't care as much. I mean, we, we tried, we try really hard, but we have 75, 75 properties that we have to care and try really hard for. And we had a great team and people that helped make that possible. But at the end of the day, you're going to care more about that property than anyone else is going to. So, um, if that's your main focus, don't use a management company. If this is your if this is your baby, and you care that deeply about it, you know, managing it is probably the way to get yourself is probably the way to go. If it's if it's an investment property and it's it's a money maker and, and you're trying to buy more and you're focused on buying more, you know, management company is not a bad option. So I think that's our answer. If this is for something that's closer to home and it's not necessarily like investment, you're just trying to make money off of it, then you should probably do it yourself. If you're looking for investment, building, scaling, then we think a management company is, I'm paraphrasing his. What are some, give me two or three good qualities when you're looking for a management company. And then if there's two or three bad ones for people out there who are searching. One is make sure they're legal. There's a lot of people out there that do it illegally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here in Nashville, you have to have a, and it's, it's going to vary by state and city. You know, everyone probably, anyone who's done a little research in the Airbnb knows how 
controversial it is. So can be at least. Um, so here in Nashville, you have to have a license. In the state of Tennessee, you have to have your the proper license to to manage other people's properties. And that's a similar case for many states and and areas around the country. So so make sure they're operating le legally first of all, because um, you'll be surprised. I mean, I. It's a shot in the dark, but I'd say there's probably 50% of management companies out there are actually illegal operators. That there's it's such a new industry, relatively, that there's just not a lot of policing or, or enforcement around that sort of licensing. So make sure one that they're doing that. Number two is see if they're if they're just vending everything out. See if they have a local team. See if they have a staff, because that's that's going to make all the difference. A lot of managers out there will just be a solo act that in the, at the end of the day, they're just vending everything out to third party companies. So they'll have a relationship with a cleaning company, they'll have a relationship with a maintenance company. And and at the end of the day, that's that's gonna be you're not gonna get good results when you're using vendors like that. Make sure they have a local staff, a local team that's gonna get familiar with your property, that's gonna learn about your property, that's gonna that's gonna learn about the specifics about your property. Cause that's going to help drive that. We're going back to like really caring about your property. If you have a different vendor and a different person in there, it's impossible to obtain that same level of care that you would do if it was your you were taking care of the property yourself. At least if you have your own employees and you know the same people are going into your property constantly, it helps build that same level of care and interest and quality. So make sure I would recommend finding someone that has their own staff and own employees. The other is make sure they're leveraging technology properly. It's, I mean, Airbnb and Verbo are a, it's a technology company and there's a lot of tech in the space that makes this all scalable. I parked on one a second ago about dynamic pricing, which are, there's multiple dynamic pricing softwares out there that sync with Airbnb or Verbo or booking.com or whatever source you're using, listing sites you're using to generate the, the highest possible revenue for you. Ask them what their tech stack is or ask them what their technology is. You don't even have to know like exactly what it is, but they shouldn't falter on that question. If there's like a stutter or well, those things are expensive or you know, maybe jot down one or two and look it up just to, after the conversation. But you know, just simply asking them like how they're using technology and what their tech stack is is is, is gonna be a really good question. That, that shows you how much they've really invested in their business and in return invest in your business. Interesting. See, all the things that I had no idea until I sat down in this conversation. You touched a little bit on regulations, and I think this is a good way. Do you think that, or do you think, or are you worried about new government regulations coming in, in certain areas? Do you think it's going to be market-specific? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think it is market specific, especially. I mean, urban markets are getting attacked way more than like the traditional rural or vacation markets who are who are used to it. Um, you know, you have like here in Tennessee, you have Gatlinburg, which is a is a more rural area, mountain area. Short term rentals, vacation rentals have been a thing forever. Their economies built off. Mostly, yeah. it's going to exist forever. Nashville urban market. You know, it's it's been attacked since 2016 here. It's still being attacked. They still exist. I'm not, in general, super worried about regulations. The idea and the concept of short-term renting out space has existed in the world for a really long time. Yeah. Um, you know, Airbnb has 
brought it to the forefront and made everyone aware of it. And I think that's scary and people are learning how to adjust to it and deal with it. And it, you know, when things are new and different, people, people get fearful and they fight it. Um, you know, I think it's just finding its home still. I, I'm not worried about it ever going away. I think it's ingrained in us as part of our lives now. Yeah. You know, it's, there's going to be pushback and pushback, but as time goes on, it's going to become more and more accepted, just like Uber or Lyft, you know, it, it, it's, it's a part of our world. It's always going to be here. It, it, it may get worse before it gets better, but 20 years from now, it's, it's not even going to be a conversation. It's going to be a part of life. Interesting. Okay. And then in terms, we're going to build off of markets a little bit. Um, are there certain markets that you would recommend people starting? Obviously, you only have Nashville is where you built your entire business on. But if someone's looking, maybe they want to start in their city, like maybe they're, they're urban or maybe it's the opposite and they live in somewhere rural, but they're looking to maybe go urban. Do you have an opinion or advice on the market to get started? I mean, as far as like specifically where to go, it's I, I don't have like a city like this is the next it city to go yeah. to or or anything like that. I would say make sure you make sure you know the market. I mean, make sure you're really familiar with it. Don't just don't just Google a list and find like top ten most uh, <laughs> you know, profitable Airbnb cities or anything like that, and you can go try to buy. You know, those lists exist everywhere. So some those lists exist because people are looking for them. Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't recommend doing that. I w- I would recommend finding a market you're you're familiar with that you know a lot about that you have a connection with whether that whether that is where you currently live or if it's you know somewhere 200 miles away but just make sure you're familiar with it you have you know you have people there on the ground that you that you know or contacts that you know there that would be more what I would suggest if you're if you're looking for for a market to invest in. Don't just follow necessarily the hottest trending spots. Okay. In terms of risk and reward for Airbnb in comparison to other avenues, what's your shed some light on where you, is it super risky? Is it not? Do you feel the re- reward is higher? Be specific. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you're com- if you're comparing like a 30 day rental to you know a short term rental, it's definitely way more high risk. It is. It's a lot more work. There's a lot more things that can go wrong with with a with a short term rental. Uh, just going back to comparing it to a 30 day rental, you have you know all the background checks. You're 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 renting to someone maybe once a year. You're you're really thorough about that that one tenant because that tenant's going to be there for a really long time so you want to make sure you you get it perfectly right it's not really the case in short-term rentals you're going to burn through you know 200 tenants potentially in a year so it's not as you're not doing thorough background checks on every single one the platforms like airbnb say they background check everyone but to be honest they do not (laughs) no they do not um so, so it is riskier, but high risk equals reward. It's definitely yeah. more rewarding than a, than a long-term rental. Cash flow is way better, but there's ways to mitigate that risk too. Um, How? You can set restrictions on who can rent your property. You can do age restrictions on that on there. So, you know, 
you can rent out to older, just like, you know, 30 plus. So you maybe eliminate party crowds. You can rent out to only people who have positive previous reviews on there. So, you know, they have other hosts that have basically vouched for them, which will improve your your chances of not having problems. Because in the end of the day, all your problems are going to go back to the guest. Yeah. Uh, They're going to be your problem. They're the difference here. So there's softwares and platforms and, and, and technology you can put in the property as well. One we have and had in all our properties was called Minute. And it was a little little device. It actually kind of looks like the smoke detector over my head here. That's not what it is, but that's what it looks like. Um, it, it blends just like a smoke detector. Um, it measures decibel levels in the property. It measures um, temperature, motion, humidity. It number, measures the number of Bluetooth-enabled devices in the property. It can measure, like, it can hear glass breaking in the property. It can, it can sense a smoke alarm going off. And it measures all those things constantly in real time and you set thresholds on all of those too so it notifies me or someone on the team if any of those thresholds are ever crossed so then you can respond to whatever issue is going on whether it be a party or too many people on the property or anything that may increase your risk so, so every person's fear of being watched while they're in an airbnb is it's yeah, real it he's, he's, yeah, it he's have spying a camera. on us <laughs> It doesn't have a camera. It's literally the that's only what they all say. It doesn't have a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't have a camera. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's 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 pushing it right to that line of like knowing as much info as you can without invading privacy. I mean, it's not invading privacy in my mind. I mean, I I, yeah. I don't think it is. But um, well, I, I mean, hope, if you're gonna be disrespectful, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you, you have nothing if you're not and you would have guests ask about it sometimes. And because we 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 I mean, we we post that that's there before anyone books. So it's not like it's surprising anyone when they get there. Yeah. I mean, we, we advertise it on our on the listings, but it's there. So you're aware of it. Um, and we have we have we had we'd have guests ask about it. We explain what it is. And, you know, if if you're worried about it, then it's doing what it's what's supposed to do. And it's yeah. preventing you from coming a problem so yeah it's like an alarm system yeah. but in a different sense it's like this it's the yeah. same thing like a burglar sees an alarm system they're like okay maybe not this house it's along the same yeah. lines as airbnb exactly interesting. yeah interesting okay we're gonna take a little bit of a pivot here because i want to get into this topic for a little bit arbitrage airbnb arbitrage i feel like is a very hot topic and I follow someone on Instagram and he seems to be absolutely killing it in this market. But I think there's a lot of layers to it. So explain how does Airbnb arbitrage work and then we'll build from there. Yeah. So you'll actually get more one one side from me here. You'll you'll get Ah, a, this more. is what I told I told you. I told you yeah. I get it out of you. <laughs> I personally don't like Airbnb arbitrage. Okay. Um, you either one need, in my opinion, you either one need to have a ton of cash, which defeats the original purpose of arbitrage, or it's it's so people are people have caught on to the idea of Airbnb anymore, and it's just impossible to find someone to arbitrage with. In my mind, um, you, you may find one eventually. You probably will find one eventually, but um, it's a lot of people do it illegally they don't tell 
the the person that they're going to arbitrage their their home. They don't tell people. They rent it out, and then they aren't going to tell anyone. They're not going to tell the, the the renter. So if you do it, it, it's an option. It's an option. So what exactly but is it for people who have no idea what it is? Okay. Yeah. So arbitrage is basically where you go into a like a, a long, more standard long-term lease agreement with someone who owns a property. You rent it out for them from them, usually for a little bit more of like an inflated standard mm-hmm. rental rate that it would normally go for. Then you turn around and basically sublease it on platforms like Airbnb to to hopefully make a profit. So you're paying your rent and then any pro, any any rental income you get from Airbnb, for example, it, it is your is your income. So that's arbitrage in a nutshell. The benefit to it, obviously, is you don't need the cash, the startup capital of, of buying a home. You can get in with one month deposit like you would on, on renting a, 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 an apartment, basically. You said at the beginning that you think you have to have a lot of, or there, there's a lot of capital. So elaborate a little bit on that because it seems that buying a house would require more cash. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the reason I say that is because a lot of corporations have actually got into the arbitrage space. Oh, so yeah. So it, it used to be like, it started out as a, as a great way for small time people to, to get yeah into the business, but, but it was working so well, obviously corporations have moved in now at this point because it was working well. And what they'll do is, is they, They'll go in and rent entire complexes at a time. They'll offer just an insane amount of of money to rent these people's properties that an individ that that an individual can't compete with. They have the cash for like yeah. let's say for example, normally it rents for two thousand dollars. You know, mom and pop are going to come in and pay offer two thousand five hundred to rent it. Corporation is going to come in and offer three thousand five hundred to rent this place. And it's not even about it's not even about profit to them anymore. The corporation is not even about the profit or bottom line. It's a, it's a race for market share. So they're just these corporate massive corporations are dumping money into these these projects just to to keep to keep growing the company. Um, and, and a perfect example of of why I say this is because when um, we had a, we had a huge company here in Nashville, which I won't name, that you know they had. They were, they were all over the country, but they had, I think, like 250 units here in Nashville at the start of 2020. They were just dumping every dollar they had into just growing their market share. When COVID hit, they went bankrupt within a month. They couldn't pay any of their leases because the, the revenue stream shut off. So, I mean, they, they, they went bankrupt and, and lost everything within 30 days after, after COVID hit. So, (laughs) and you know, a lot of companies did survive it, but there's just there's a lot of corporations in in the arbitrage space that will be competing against you now too. You know, it's hard for a corporation to to find that one off individual who's going to do it. So you still have an advantage as like as a as a solo person. Um, But you know, finding that one off person, it's a lot of work. You can do it, but it's it's a lot of work to do it. And it's a high risk. I mean, it's, it's higher risk than, than the normal Airbnb model. Why? Um, you, don't, you don't have any other, if, if another, this is pessimistic, but if another COVID happens and your revenue stream shuts off 
right away. You don't have a plan B. You don't own that home. You can't sell it off if you need to. You potentially won't be able to convert it to a long-term rental, a 30-day rental. You're, You're stuck in one option. And if that if that option comes to a halt like it did in 2020 for a while, you're, you're stuck holding, holding the bill with no revenue. Um, and it can be a dangerous thing, especially because for some people who are trying to get into arbitrage, um, they're doing it because they don't have a lot of emergency backup capital. So if that, I, it worries me that if that, if that revenue stream does cut off or it doesn't work out, it could potentially make the problem worse. I'm pessimistic on arbitrage. <laughs> There's you... plenty of success stories out there, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't personally, I'm not a big fan. I would never do arbitrage. People would ask me all the time to, to do some sort of arbitrage model for our business, and I, I would always say no. Are you more of a risk-adverse personality or for risk as an entrepreneur? I'm more risk-adverse, for okay. sure. That's what I <laughs> I'm more risk-adverse. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. I'm more risk adverse. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm more risk adverse, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm also just like a, a go and do it sort of person. Like mm-hmm. sometimes people like ask me, are you like, like what was it worrisome to just quit your job and start like on the spot and start this business without knowing what was going to happen. And obviously that's a pretty big risk. And I like didn't even dawn on me that it would be frightening or scary or whatever. Like it was just like a no brainer. Like, yeah, of course, of course I do that. It wasn't, I wasn't nervous or scared at all. So I generally say I'm pretty risk adverse, but I guess there's some sort of, there's somewhere in there that doesn't fear those kind of things. I don't know why. But <laughs> Why do you feel that you were so that was such an easy decision to you? Was it passion or? <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I usually just say I'm, I'm, I was smart enough to figure it out, but dumb enough to not be worried about it. <laughs> what, the power uh, <laughs> of being oblivious works in yeah. your favor. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's probably not like the most professional answer ever, but uh, yeah. Wow. I it's interesting, but you hear it a lot. Like I've, I've spoken with entrepreneurs of all different types. Like I've, we're talking real estate, building a food business. Like I feel I've, I've 50 plus episodes in, I talked to so many different people, but it's funny because it's true. You have, if I feel like once you know everything and my mentor is in real estate and he asked a bunch of these questions, but he's like, if someone would have told me what I know now about real estate, I wouldn't have gone into it. And that's what he made a killing off of. So it's, as people yeah. are like, oh, it's not smart. But at the same time, it's like, well, look, look at you now. You would never be there if you didn't just take the yeah. wrist and dive off the deep yeah. end. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of just just diving in and experiencing it and learning it as you go. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect right off the bat. Another thing that people do is they they just they just, you know, I, I've been saying network and, and and learn as much as you can. But um, eventually you know, you got to just jump in and do it. So don't, don't just keep learning and think you need to know everything all the time and, and be an expert at it before you do it. Just do it. <laughs> what was the biggest mistake that you made or what was the biggest failure that you had in your Airbnb business that you would like to give the audience advice on? Hmm. That's a tough one, you know? <sighs> 
you know, I don't know if it's necessarily the so the definitely the easy the biggest thing I've learned in this whole experience, and it's and it's an easy answer, but it's more like it might be more of a personal answer than the, oh, that's fine, like an Airbnb answer. But you know, I I was a uh, I learned I can't make everyone happy. Good. That's something that it realistically it probably did translate to to operating the the business better. I've always been a people pleaser. And, you know, being a people pleaser was great for the business because the hospitality business, you know, that's, that's kind of what the, the, the number one goal is. I would want to make people, every, every guest so happy that it would come to like the detriment of my own health or, or something like that. I would, I would just want everyone to be happy and I would move heaven and earth for people and they still wouldn't be happy. And then I would be just, you know, it would, it would, it would weigh on me. So the second I learned to just do what you can, try your, you know, sounds cliche, try your hardest and, and be happy with that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's all you can do. If you know, if you know, you've, you've given it a hundred percent all that's, that's, that's all you can do really. Once I learned that, you know, I feel like the business was able to, once I got that out of my mind, I was able, it stopped distracting me, I guess. And I was able to just dive into the business and keep moving and, and keep growing. And if, if something got me down, it was just on to the next thing. It wasn't, it was, it was gone. It was, it was yesterday. Let's just move on. You know, let's work on the next thing. Let's work on the next opportunity. For people that are stuck in people pleasing or whatever that obstacle that's right in front of them in front of them on their journey through entrepreneurship how would you give them advice on moving through the challenges that are thrown your direction whether it's certain things like personally that you do or professional advice i'm open to whatever say that again in the beginning part yeah so Everyone goes through obstacles in their entrepreneurial journey, whether you're scaling a business, whatever it is, what pieces of advice would you give to someone that feels like they're stuck, whether that's growing the business or maybe it's something personal, kind of like you, like you're stuck people pleasing and overcoming that fear or that obstacle to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the good things about entrepreneurs is is that they just, if you are really like an entrepreneur mindset, it is is you're just kind of a creative thinker and you're always trying to just keep the momentum, keep the ball rolling, basically at, at all costs at sometimes, you know, even if the cost is pretty great. So, you know, it, it, I think that's, that's what it's all about is, is just keep moving forward. Don't, don't, you know, learn from your mistakes. Don't, don't let one bad day stop you you're not failing until you you quit essentially you know it's 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 all about just learning from mistakes every day is a new day keep moving forward keep keep doing everything you can giving it 100 percent every single day um and and i i truly believe if you keep doing that eventually you're gonna have have that breakthrough you're gonna have that moment you're gonna get through whatever that obstacle is but you know it, you, you don't fail until you quit I love that. That's going to be the quote, guys. You don't fail until you quit. That's, I really like that. Okay. I have two last questions for you, then I'll let you go. So we might run a little bit over. Um, the first one, I want you to give a personal and then a professional fill in the blank. It's entrepreneurship has taught you blank. Hmm. 
Entrepreneurship has taught you blank. Um, it's taught me to be, I want to say like a, a stronger person, to be honest. It, say it. Made me, yeah, it's, it's taught me to be a, a stronger, more, more confident person. I, I definitely was always a, a shy person and being an entrepreneur, you got to put yourself out there. And, and so, yeah, it, it, I'm definitely a stronger person because of it. Oh, I love that. Guys, this is such a good talk. Okay, last question, which is going to be a little, we yeah. might take a little bit of a turn back to Airbnb. So for everyone out there, he built his business up to 75 units. And then you just recently sold your business to one of the largest Airbnb uh, management companies in North America, which is huge. Congratulations. Why did you do that? Thank you. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's multiple, multiple reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is we've been harping on entrepreneurship a lot and uh, the business had, wasn't in its startup phase anymore. It was, it was established. It has a reputation here in town. Um, it, it didn't matter how much I messed it up anymore. It wasn't really going anywhere. And to be honest, that made me not as excited about it every day in a sense. I, I really love the, the, the growth and the creative and, and, and trying to, you know, figure out a problem every single day. And it's a new problem every single day. So that was one of the reasons that it was time to sell. And another one was, you know, I had, I have other business ideas. I've already started some other businesses. We were growing. We got to the point that, you know, 75 units is a lot of units. We had a really, really good, strong local team with really, really talented people who are way more talented than me. Um, but we were we were kind of I felt us hitting a little bit of a, a wall where it was like we needed the option was either at 75 units for us. It was either to sell the business to someone like a large a large company that can handle that many or we needed to start bringing in outside resources in, in the form of almost like extra capital or, or something like that. We were we were kind of at our at our peak performance really okay. um, there was you know i always say there's like there's quality there's profit and there's size and there's an interesting combination of all three and we were in a really really sweet spot where we had we I mean we grew 75 units in three years our quality was one of the best in, in, in town profit margins were great size was good but one of those things were starting to i felt personally one of those things was going to have to start to to give unless we brought in something some other outside resource that to help us um, and i wasn't willing to to give on any of those things you know i didn't sound selfish yeah. but i didn't want to i didn't want to keep giving up our profit to keep our quality and growth up for the first two and a half years we had i dumped every single dollar ever made in the business back in, into the business. I didn't take a paycheck for like for two years, just wow. dumping everything. So I wanted that profit selfishly, but I was not willing to sacrifice quality, you know? And, and, and so it, it felt like the right time. That's, you just hit on a key point there that he didn't make a dollar for two years. And this is something yeah. that I need to be reminded of. All It's not an overnight success. I think people think that yeah. they're going to go out there and that this is all going to happen overnight. And you're just another example of someone that's put in years of work to get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It takes, it takes, a, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of hard time, a lot of 
hard times <laughs> for sure, but it, it pays off in the end. I do believe that. Wow. So what's next? You alluded to a few things. What's next for you? Are you staying with Airbnb or uh, give us some sneak peeks? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I started a, <laughs> I started a company called Hospitality Consulting. Okay. Hospitality, but with the T in there for host. Um, so Creative. Hospitality. Hospitality consulting, yeah. So I'm basically just trying to leverage my knowledge now at this point to to help individual hosts who are starting out in the industry learn the business, you know, exponentially quicker, so they don't have to make as many mistakes as I did. So whether that that individual host is just trying to start, you know, a little one-off side hustle sort of thing, um, or if they're trying to grow their 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 rental empire. Um, I'm, I'm basically a, a resource for them to help lessen the, the learning curve. Wow, guys, look at this. Builds a successful business, then turns around and serves the people around him. Can there can people find you? Not quite yet. Not, okay. uh, the website will be up probably in the next week or so. Okay. Um, haven't, I haven't officially launched it. I don't know when this is getting posted. Okay. So it may, it may be up by the time this is posted, but hospitalityconsulting.com will be our website. Okay. I mean, you were incredible. I'm so thankful that you were on this podcast and I'm going to have to text Steve after that. And I, the final question I ask every single person that is on here is Andrew, what are you grateful for today? Yeah, I am grateful for the peace that all of this has brought me. I started wanting, this whole journey started with a goal of becoming financially independent at this point, it, it's it's brought me pretty pretty darn close to that. So you know, wake up every day just feeling a level of of peace that I I haven't felt for a long time. You know, through that journey, and I'm thankful for all the all the people who helped get me there. Wow, this is very inspirational. I love this, and I am grateful for. My health. We're going to, I always say health, but I'm just grateful that I am a healthy person. And I'm very grateful for this podcast and for this interview, because this is what I needed to hear. I hear all this stuff about Airbnb, but it's like, I need to put the action to it once I get that capital. So thank you so much for being on. You were amazing.